Let me just pray before we go on, I guess. Oh, Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we uh, approach this new week, we come, as the psalmist said, to uh, bow down and worship you. As your Son, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Now, some of you might be saying, I want to do that more. So on Sunday mornings, 9.15 in our Heritage Hour, Steve leads and he directs that time of, of, of time of worship and praise as we sing hymns, and then Hank or Steve will open the word and they'll also teach. So I just want to encourage you, if you really enjoyed this morning and you're saying, I want to do that more, I want to encourage you, next Sunday morning, right over there in the Thompson room, head on over at 9.15. They'll love to have you. And, you know, it's really cool. Over the years, things change, don't they? So our young people aren't here today. Connor and some of his youth leaders are gone, and they, they went to a music festival this weekend in a time of singing. I don't think they sang many hymns. That's okay. But that's how our world changes, isn't it? And we adjust and we move, and this is one of the cool things I think that's going to be fun about heaven. So we, we, some of us have sung hymns and we love hymns. Some of us sing more contemporary music. But that's just here in the States. Think about where the body of Christ is all around our world. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to have a musical smorgasbord. I think we're going to have a chance to kind of dip into and, and there are going to be different parts where we're going to come back and we're going to go, you know... God, I'm glad they're worshiping you, but I didn't enjoy worshiping you in that style as much as I'm going to enjoy worshiping this one over here. Some of us are going to go down and we're going to see the steel band and the the Caribbean steel bands and we're going to kind of hang out there for a while. We're going to say, this is really cool. We're going to enjoy this. Others of us might go over at different times and say, this is this is where the organ is and, and the piano and we're going to hang out for a time. It's going to be cool. We're going to just have this wonderful smorgasbord. And what's really going to be cool is when we all get together and we all lift our voices in different ways and praise our Lord. So thank you again for today. But I also want to encourage you, next week, 9.15, the Heritage Hour. They'd love to have you. would love to see you there. Now, let's open our word this morning, and we're going to have a conversation about community, and a great conversation about community. And last week, as we talked about worshiping the Lord, we are asking the question, this is us, and what is us, and what is us like? And again, the whole idea and the whole conversation of this is us is, answer, is, is wrestling with two things. One part of that question is, who are we? Who am I and who are we as a body? And so one question is describing and talking about the reality of who we are, but another part of that conversation is also aspirational. Because it's not just, we're not just saying that this defines who we are, but we're also in some ways saying, but this is also who we aspire or this is who we also desire to be. And so we're wrestling through the tension of both of those points, both the reality of our present and our aspiration of also who we are seeking to be. So this morning we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 41 to 47. This is where we'll start. And so as we start to think through the whole aspect of community, this describes the very beginning of the church. So as we start to say, what, what did, when, when the church was first hatched, when they, they kind of 
came out and they started to bloom and blossom and they started to become, what were they like? And what was it like? And this is that picture that is painted. It says, so those who accepted his message, talking about Peter, because this is right on the heels of the day of Pentecost. So he's preaching. The, 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 the church is being launched on this day. And so Peter is preaching. It is up to this point pretty much just been the disciples and the, the, the followers of Jesus. Maybe we're talking around about 500 people. Because later on, Scripture says that Jesus appeared to, to many. And later on, Paul says, and he appeared to about 500 people. So up to this point in time, we're dealing with around 500, maybe 600 people total. They had been kind of hiding out for a while right after Jesus' uh, crucifixion. And, and right after his resurrection, they kind of laid low. But now on this day of Pentecost, everything is kind of breaking open. God's kind of taking it and he's dropping it from heaven and it's going to go the spirit's going to break out the word of God is going to break out and the the work of God in his church and in his people is about to spread out and to start to cover the world as the message of Jesus and the church of Jesus is being birthed he says so those who accepted the message were baptized now we're going to do a baptismal service again this, this fall. I'm not sure exactly when, but we're going to do one. But I want you to understand something. A bunch of people accepted the message of Jesus. And we're going to find out it's a few thousand. But a bunch of people accepted the message of Jesus as Peter preached. But here's how they demonstrated their embracing of this message of Jesus. They were baptized. When you look at the biblical manner in which a person communicates or demonstrates their relationship with Jesus, they are baptized. Biblically, that's how a person responds. And that's what a person says, I'm a follower of Jesus. In recent years, we have maybe shifted at times and we would have a person give a testimony or say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But the reality is that biblically, the way a person would identify their relationship with Christ is through baptism. And so on this day, these people accept the message and were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them, were added to their number. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now the next verse kind of unpacks that a little bit and starts to explain a little bit of what that looks like and how it happened. So, it says, everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together and held things in common. You understand that common is kind of, holding things in common is kind of underneath community. You get that? Because there's a sharing of something that is in common. There's sharing of that which is kind of familiar. Now, in our culture today, we have wrestled with this a little bit. and We've wrestled with some national identity issues. We've wrestled with some other things. We're going to unpack some of those things the end of October and into November. We're going to touch on that again in a little bit. But the reality is, in our culture today, some of the things that we shared in common more broadly 
have started to be broken up because of some of the worldview issues that have started to influence our culture. But what's taking place here in the beginning of the church is that many people now are embracing Jesus and this commonality of faith, this commonality of identifying themselves with Jesus is starting to form the foundation of the community that is being formed because they share things in common. And what they have chosen to do as they share things in common, he, he goes on. So they sold their possessions and property and dis, distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. See, as they started to function as a community, they shared things that they had in common. And they stopped seeing themselves so individualistically and they started to see each other in the context of community. Now here's kind of the further unpacking of how we see those four things that happened above, that were said above. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. So this is where they would meet to hear the word, and this is where the disciples would preach and teach, and this is where the disciples would build into those who were coming to Jesus. Additional, additionally, people during this time were listening on the sidelines, and, and they were paying attention and watching. They broke bread from house to house. So now there's not just 500 and, and there's more people than can fit into an upper room or there's more people than can fit into a large gathering space. Now there's thousands. And so what do they do? They, they start to go from house to house. They start to break up into smaller groups. They start to break up into smaller communities or smaller gatherings. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of the people, of all the people. And then here again, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day. Community. So as you see that early church starting to function, what were the core four things that were going on? They gave themselves over to the apostles' teaching. They gave themselves over to the studying of the word. Because what was taking place with the apostles as they were starting to unpack the Old Testament, they were starting to explain the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. But they were starting to unpack and they were starting to explain who Jesus was and how Jesus was the Messiah. And they were starting to help people to start to put the pieces together. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Sharing in common, encouraging whether supporting each other, breaking bread, and prayer. Those four key things are big deals and really should continue to form the framework of community. Next, I want to look at Romans chapter 12. Now, anyone here like a bath person? Some people like, anyone just kind of like going home and just kind of going, oh. you kind of sit down and you plunk down in that tub, you fill it up, you make it nice and warm, and then you just kind of plunk down. You just kind of nestle in. Maybe others of you maybe do this other thing. You go into the shower, 
you crank it up, you make it nice and warm, and then you just kind of walk in and you just kind of put your head underneath that nozzle and you kind of just let it kind of pour over you and roll over you. And you just, you're not ready yet to get out all the, the shampoo. You're not ready to get out the bar of soap in the, in the washcloth. And you just kind of sit there and you just kind of let it kind of roll over you. It's kind of relaxing. You kind of take some of the, the rough spots out of the day and you might keep your head there for a few minutes and then, okay, now I kind of get, get serious and I have to get cleaned up and washed up and you do the rest of the stuff you do in the shower and you, and you get out and you get moving with your day or you kind of maybe draw your day to a close. But every once in a while, it's kind of nice just to kind of hunker down into that tub and soak or just to lean up in that shower and just kind of let the water flow over you. I find sometimes it's also like that with the word. Sometimes it's good just to kind of sit on it and just kind of float in it or to just kind of let it flow over us. And we don't necessarily focus on a whole lot of detail. We don't focus on all the nooks and crannies, but we just kind of let it flow over us. And that's what I want us to do with the next section of verses. I love just the general flow. And I'll probably stop at a couple points and I'll make a comment. But I want you just to see or feel and experience the general flow of the word as it kind of deals into and walks through the whole issue of community and relationship and how we function with one another as a church family. And it flows right on the heels of what we talked about last week because we finished in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, because we finished in the context of worship and how worship isn't just someone sitting at the piano and leading us as we praise the Lord through song or a band that will lead us in songs as we praise the Lord in song. That's, those aren't the only components of worship. Those are parts of worship taking an offering and, 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 and writing that check or giving that check and coming back and saying, Lord, you are, you've provided. You, you. That's, that's an aspect of worship. But it also suggests to you that spending time in the Word, but then also learning how to live in relationship with others is a huge part of what it means to worship God. Because right on the heels of Romans 12, 1 and 2, is this whole conversation that just flows. So just kind of lean in as the shower of God's word starts to pour out over us and kind of let it just flow. Paul writes, he says, as he's writing to the church through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. For by the grace given me, given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many 
are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, community. You start to see that? The reality of community. Members of one another. And this is according to the grace given to us. We have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the portion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhorting, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Again, all of this functioning in the context of community. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in, in zeal. Be, be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful but give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping firing coals on his head. Do not be Conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And again, as we listen to the flow, we see aspects and components of community in the way community functions and interacts and deals with one another. He keeps on going. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you'll you'll have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. For this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to these tasks." Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those who, who you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. And honor to those we owe honor. Now again, as we listen to this, Paul is writing in the context of persecution that has happened in a church. And he's continuing to write this. And he's talking to the community of how to function in community, how the community should react and respond, both individually and corporately. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. 
Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and a day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Welcome anyone who is weak in the faith. Do not argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant before his own Lord he stands or falls? And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us live for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you spy? You despise your brother or sister? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, To someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. For if if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not deny, or do not destroy, but what you eat, let me back up, do not destroy by what you eat, someone for whom God Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whether you believe about these things, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not contemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. These next verses we'll finish with. Now, We who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength 
and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may help We may have hope through the endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and voice. Sometimes it's just good to just read Scripture and allow it to flow over our lives. And as we kind of walk through, we don't just sometimes land here or have a long conversation about this little piece, but just to listen to the whole conversation of God as he talks about how we live in community in the way in which he wants us to interact with one another in a way that strengthens, encourages, builds, helps God's glory but also for the benefit of the community of Christ. I would encourage you, take some time. Take some time this week and just kind of go back over these chapters of Romans and just read over them. If you want to kind of land on a spot and chew on a spot for a little bit, that's great, but then just kind of go back and read it again. Don't kind of break it all up. Just kind of walk through the flow. The importance of community and how community can interact in such healthy and constructive ways. We'll continue. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. I put it down in the NLT today, and that's on the screen. And I kind of did it on the NLT because I liked how the NLT read the best. Again, we use a number of very good translations, and so we use the English Standard Version. We use the NET, the New English Translation. We often use the New Living Translation, which is the NLT, and we also often use the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And probably the CSB is what I typically read and and what we use, but I really liked how the NLT read, and so I wanted to kind of... They all say that, you know, they all say the same thing. But sometimes it's one translation or another just says it in a way that kind of goes, I get that a little bit better. And I want to read from here. He says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin in a hardened and and will be deceived by sin and hardened against God for with we are faithful to the end trusting God just as firmly as we have first believed we will share in all that belongs to Christ now i'm going to go back and so you can kind of run that back and i want to kind of walk through this a little bit more again back to verse 12 He says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. In the whole context of community, there is a tension between personal and group. 
There's always that tension between that which is personally going on and then how I interact with and engage corporately. He says, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. There's a warning here, a challenge. Now, we're going to delve into this much more fully end of October and into November. If you have been paying attention to some of the things that have been happening in our culture, there have been some higher-profile individuals, both in ministry but also in, in music and other areas, that have said, we no longer identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. And they have stepped away. Some of us know people that used to go to church and used to be connected at a local church family. And they have stepped away. And you might have a conversation with them and, and they say, well, I, I kind of still hold on to that, but it's not the same and I really don't listen to that as much anymore and I, I'm kind of taking a different path. So Paul's words, or the, no, I can't say Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Probably not Paul, actually. So whoever wrote Hebrews, they're drilling down on this. Make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. What's evil? Evil is that which is contrary or opposed to that which God stands for. So we have a tendency to paint the word evil and make it just only those really vile, horrible things. That's evil. But things that are not as bad as that over there, those aren't evil. Evil is that which pulls someone away from God. Evil is something that introduces different values, different worldviews, different principles that are not God's values. That's evil. Evil is introducing things that draw us away from God. Those things are evil. And he says, make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You've got to guard your heart. We need to guard our hearts. We need to create boundaries and, and, and things in our lives that guard our hearts, that don't allow us to be drawn away. And then he goes on in verse 13, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. This is part of community. This is where we come alongside each other, we encourage each other, we speak truth into each other's lives. Have you ever wrestled with deep, heavy questions? I have. I'm sure you have. And the reality is there's a place where we need to be able to take those deep, heavy questions. But what happens at times is people don't take those deep, heavy questions to people who will help them find answers. And they don't take those deep, heavy questions to the, to the body of Christ. Instead, they take those questions other places. And they start to turn their back on God. They start to turn their back on spiritual things. And they start to embrace evil counsel. Unspiritual advice. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? 
We need to be helping each other. We need to be prodding each other. We need to be speaking truth into each other's life and also in that context, giving each other an opportunity to express those questions so that we can help then each other find answers to the questions and the issues that we wrestle with in life. We must warn each other every day while it is still today. It's not something we should be doing tomorrow. It is something we should be doing today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God because what is taking place is people are being deceived. Again, we're going to unpack this more at the end of October and going into November, but people are being deceived on a regular basis because they're being lied to and they're believing the lies. For with we are faithful to the end, trust in God just as firmly as we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Jesus wants us to reach the end of the journey so we can celebrate together. But we need to be speaking into each other's lives constructively, helping in the journey. Let's go to that last verse. We referenced this last week. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Again, as I've said many times, so much of my life this was used as a club, and it's not a club at all. It's, it's, it's something that should be an encouragement. It's something that needs to be helpful. It's not something to guilt us. It's something to inspire. It's something to encourage. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, we have the freedom to enter into the Holy of Holies. We have the freedom to enter into the very presence of God. Therefore, in light of those things, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart full and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And I love this next part. In light of all these great things and let us consider one another In this greatness of the saving work of Jesus, in this greatness of how Jesus has opened the way for us to have this amazing relationship with the Father, and he's talking about the tabernacle and and how there was a, a, a common area where general sacrifices were made, but then you had the Holy of Holies, and no one could go into the Holy of Holies except one priest, the high priest, once a year, to offer a sacrifice for the cleansing of the nation's sin or a covering, not a cleansing, but a covering of the nation's sin because the sin wasn't cleansed until Jesus went to the cross. It was covered, but it was never cleansed until Jesus went to the cross because when Jesus went to the cross, that's when the final work was done to bring forgiveness of sin. Up to that point in time to the sacrificial system that the Jewish community practiced, it was a covering. And so the priest would go in once a year, but only the priest had access to that holy of holies. Only the priest could go into that place where the Holy Spirit resided between the cherubim on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Only the priest, once a year, to offer a sacrifice for sin. But Jesus has come. And that 
veil separating. The regular place of worship from the holies of holies was torn asunder. Why? Because now the access point into the holiest place is available to us through Jesus. In light of all of this amazing stuff that God has done, let's consider one another in order to provoke or to encourage love and good works. In light of this amazingness of what Jesus has done for us, let us consider how we can encourage one another. Let's consider how we can help one another. Let's consider how we can prod one another to love and good works. Not neglecting the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, the day is ultimately coming when we will close our eyes or Jesus is going to return and we're going to be ushered into the presence of God. That day is coming. And we, as followers of Jesus, kind of have cast our eyes forward. We have cast our eyes heavenward and we're living toward that day. We're living in anticipation of that day. We're waiting for that day to arrive. Now, we might be enjoying the journey on the way, but the anticipation is getting to that destination. You all know we just took a vacation. And we had a few destination points. It was enjoyable on the journey. But the goal was the destination. We still enjoyed the journey, but the goal was the various destinations. Now, personally, this is why I like driving on vacation as opposed to flying. Because I don't enjoy just getting to the destination. I enjoy all the stuff that happens between when I leave my house and I get to the destination. There's so much cool stuff to experience. There's so many wonderful things to see. There's so much fun and, and, and wonderful components of life to experience between here and there. But the destination is the goal. And that day is coming. And he's saying, but we have the opportunity to, to love one another, to prod each other, to encourage each other, to love and good works. And the other part of that is we get to get, we, we have the opportunity to get together and say, he's coming. We have the opportunity to get together and say, are you staying focused? We have the opportunity to get together and say, are you ready for when Jesus comes back? We have the opportunity to get together and encourage each other, support each other, cheer each other on, cry with each other. Wrestle with each other as we help each other in the process of the journey. He says, so, so don't not hang out, but I want you guys to hang out and I want you guys to do those things because I want you to help each other, support each other, and encourage each other so that we are living ready for when Jesus comes back because either you're going to close your eyes and you're going to get there or he's going to come back and you're going to get there, but the day is coming and I want you ready for when you get there. And that happens in community. That does not happen in isolation. That happens in community. So if I keep blowing off hanging out with you, 
you're going to have a hard time encouraging me to walk with Jesus. And I'm going to have a really hard time encouraging you to walk with Jesus. Because we're not hanging out. We're not spending time together. Now, on the bottom of your bulletin, or your outline, you're going to see this question. Where do we usually do community the best? From my worldview, I think one of the places where we do community the best is in a small group, in a life group. Now, this gathering is a great gathering, and I enjoy this gathering. We get to support each other, we get to encourage each other, we get to cheer each other on, and that's part of that journey. But the place we really get to do that at a deeper level is in a life group. Because in the context of a life group, that's when we get to say, you know, Andrew, back up, or Hank, back up, or whoever else is leading the group. Can you just back up for a second? I'm wrestling with what you're just talking about, or I'm not quite getting, you know, I enjoyed Andrew's message, but man, there was just a couple parts that I was confused with. It didn't make sense. Can Can you interpret Andrew for me so that I get it? And that happens in a life group. That's where we have that chance to back up, to slow down, and to listen to one another, hear one another. That's when we have the chance to kind of say, this is stuff I'm wrestling with. These are things I really would appreciate you praying for about in my life. These are those issues that I'm kind of concerned about. These are the burdens I'm carrying. Can you help me carry that? From my worldview, the best place we get to experience community is in a life group. Now, we're planning on kicking off life groups next week, and in your bulletin is something like this. If you are not already connected to a life group, I want to encourage you to look at this and to look this over and ask the question, which life group should I connect with? Or maybe you're saying, I think I'd like to form a different life group. If you want to form a different life group, Write a note for me down here. Put your name up top and say, Andrew, I'd like to form a different life group. And let me know. But if we have at least these life groups going on right now. Now, community is huge. It's vital to the health of the church. Because ultimately, it's in the process of community that we spend time around the teaching of the word, It's time that we spend in fellowship. It's time that we kind of get to break bread and get to know each other, get to enjoy each other, get to hear each other's stories, get to understand each other's lives. And it's as we spend time together that we really get to pray, to lift each other up, and to bring each other before the throne of grace and cry out to God on each other's behalf. Community is huge. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your rich goodness to us. I thank you for the outworking of your amazing grace to us in Jesus. Man, God, you have done such amazing things. You have done such phenomenal things. You are amazing. And then, Father, in the flow of all of this, you've given us one another to encourage each other, to support each other, to help each other in the journey, and to remind each other of the promises you have made. Father, as we walk our journey, 
Father, we would ask that you be exalted and glorified. And that you would help us to walk that journey well. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now in a moment, folk are going to come from the back to the front and they're going to collect an offering. And I would invite you to place money in that offering plate. And Steve is going to lead us in a closing song. And as that plate come on, comes past you, I would invite you to stand and we can close our, our service as we lift our voices in song. Again, right out to my, to my left, just at the top of the stairs, is a welcome center. If you're a guest and you have an information card, stop by and see someone there. I'll be hanging out over here. If you have questions, let's pray. And we'll ask God to bless us as we head into the balance of our week. Father, I thank you for today. And I thank you for the privilege you give us to lift up your word and to to celebrate the amazingness of what it is you have done to provide for us wisdom and insight and understanding through the work of your spirit and through faithful men who've recorded your word. And Father, I thank you for the privilege you give us to, to give back and to say thank you for your rich provision, your kindness, and your generosity. Father, be honored and glorified as we bring this part of our day to a close and as we get ready to walk into the next part of our week. Let it be a part of a week that will bring you glory and honor in all that takes place. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.